to Benson and to the elders and the other leaders of the church. I count it an honor and a privilege to be here this afternoon with you to help celebrate what the Lord has been doing. Uh, I want to ask a question. Is there anyone here today that's been here for the whole 14 years? Raise your hand. All right. One person? Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Amen. What, the stalk dropped you off? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay. Beard, I didn't know who you were. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, <laughs> um, we thank the Lord for faithfulness. Then, of course, we don't take the First Lady for granted either. Because I've had some counseling cases, and the trouble was the pastor couldn't get his wife to come to church. So we don't take that for granted. Amen, amen, amen. I'd like to just uh, thank all of the uh, singers and the musicians today from both churches. I love music. My wife and I, we love music. Uh, so much that we uh, we go up to New York uh, two or three times a year uh, to hear some of the great musicians uh, when they are playing up there. And uh, I just love music. I love all kinds of music. I used to think that I did not love, it was called country and western music. But then it changed. It changed and it became more like rock music. And so and then it wasn't so, it didn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't hear the uh, accent, the down-home, south, slave accent. And so now I, I like that music, too, because it's really not the same music anymore. But I love music, and I certainly appreciate all of these uh, musicians and, uh, uh, that have been ministering here today uh, to the keyboard. Uh, keyboarders and the uh, and the bass. Give give them some hand. Give them a hand. And I think we had two drummers, didn't we? We had two drummers today. Okay. Get the drum. Get the drummers. Some. Okay. I want to uh, just simply say to. Pastor Benson, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. It says, partially in that verse, fully carry out the ministry God has given you. It has been a tremendous challenge a great adventure and a great fulfillment for me 
to carry out the ministry that God has given me. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, last year uh, they were cleaning out some files, and uh, I had nothing to do with it. And I came in the office of one of the uh, administrators, and she was saving some things that she felt was just very important that had taken place and had been accomplished. And uh, it was things that had been accomplished uh, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and I had totally forgotten it. And of course, when I looked at it, and, uh, and she showed me things that had taken place, uh, uh, the closest one was 20 years ago, and then the furthest way one was like 50 years ago. And, uh, and as I looked at all of those things, I became tired. <laughs> I said, man, I've been working hard for a long time. I said, man. And I was impressed, not with, uh, with uh, what, uh, what was accomplished. I was impressed with the fact that I was still at it. And I knew that could only be because of the Lord. That only be because of his strength, his grace, and his direction. So I want you to just encourage. Uh, Pastor Benson has had a good ministry so far. And I will like to say this because it's a fact. I talk about it with my wife all the time. Pastor Benson is one of my favorite preachers. I love his preaching. I, I, I get excited about his introductions. <laughs> Amen. Amen. His introduction is a sermon in itself. And, uh, and uh, one of the reasons why I admire him for the introductions, uh, I don't, I've never really felt uh, uh, that introductions came uh, natural for me. Uh, I'm like the, the racehorse at the gate. I don't know introduction. Let's go, let's go get it. Let's go at it. <laughs> so I know that's one of the reasons why I don't feel I've ever been all that great with introductions. And then, of course, my homiletics teacher, that's the preaching teacher, uh, uh, warned us about having too long an introduction anyway. And so that was my excuse to jump right into it. <laughs> the most important aspect of your ministry, Pastor Benson, I'm saying fulfill is the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word. Uh, I, I remember in particular, there was a point in the history of churches, where we went through a period, I think about 10 years, where the idea wasn't so much preaching the word, but it was to be able to quote some great writer, uh, some great person in another field. And most of these people that was quoted weren't even believers. And, uh, and that was just cute, you know. And then we went through a sh short period, and it wasn't five years. It was very short, maybe a year. And I, I never understood how this, well, I think I do understand how it happened. We went through a, that short period where Preachers were cussing in their sermons on Sunday morning. 
And uh, that was amazing to me. And, of course, I know the reason why. All it pointed out was that preachers were carnal. They weren't spiritual themselves. Uh, and uh, I remember a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, I was uh, uh, in his city, and I was preaching for him, and he had taken me out to dinner, he and his wife. And as we were going along, driving along, we were having a conversation, and he would throw in a damn there and a hell there. And, uh, and I told him, I said, pull over, please pull over. And he, uh, he pulled over, and I challenged him that he was carnal. There's no other excuse for it. I know it's cute. I know it's a fad. I know it's what preachers are doing, but it's still sin. It's carnal. And, of course, he submitted. He submitted. But, of course, there's nothing cute about giving anything except the word. We are to give the word. Pastor, The pastor will give an account for how they have pastored all of us will have to give an account for how we have pastored. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, we read, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this choice. He's talking to pastors. Listen, he will judge the living and the dead. Pastors are held accountable. God is judging pastors as they pastor. It's not something waiting until the end, waiting until it's over. God will judge you. But God is judging pastors right along. God is judging, God is blessing, or God is correcting or withholding, or he is uh, 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 challenging the pastor's life. But then it says he would judge the living and the dead, meaning we will actually meet the Lord after he has taken us home and it's not over. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord will judge the pastor. Now listen to this. Of course, all believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you're only going to be judged for your life, for how you've lived. Pastor got double duty. Not only how he lived... But how he pastored? Did he pastor according to the shepherd? That's what the word means. Did he shepherd the way Christ would have shepherded the sheep that the Lord has given you? So we need to pray for the pastor. Matter of fact, I actually ask people to pray for me all the time and I actually give some specific things to pray about. And it's real specific. And I help you out because since you all... Uh, uh, my relatives with Pastor Benson here. He's my spiritual son. So let me give you all the same prayer request. Uh, I want you, all of you 
the, the sin in your life that keeps defeating you, especially that secret sin nobody knows about but you. What I want you to do is to pray that same prayer for me, include me. Say, Lord, when you help me, help Pastor Richardson. Help him too. Now, of course, I see some of y'all, first time you ever heard me say something like this. You got a funny look on your face. You don't have to have a funny look on your face. I ain't doing all that nasty stuff y'all doing. <laughs> but I'll be covered. Amen. 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 So pray for me. I honestly believe that's the reason why I haven't gotten in a whole lot of trouble like other pastors. Oh, man, I, it, it doesn't happen so often now. But for a long time, I never knew how, why I got started. But I would get phone calls from uh, uh, lay leaders of churches throughout the country. I didn't even know the pastor nor anybody in the church. And they would call me up and would ask me to come right away to their church to help save their pastor who was in sin. The pastor had fallen, and they didn't know what to do, and they needed my help, and I needed to come right away. And I would get on a plane and go and uh, hear what was going on and so forth. And in every single case, God gave me the direction and the wisdom, and they were able to restore the pastor, and, uh, and the pastor continued to pastor and had a great, successful, and spiritual uh, ministry. Now, I never knew how that even got started, but, but I, remember, I remember on one occasion, uh, I was on a board, a mission board, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of these pastors that I had helped years early, maybe about three years earlier, he was selected, uh, and I, I didn't know uh, uh, I, I was there. I knew him, not personally. Uh, and as a matter of fact, that one pastor, he came on the board. He came on that board. Now, the reason why I didn't know him personally was uh, I had my assistant pastor, who was his friend, go to his church, and I told him what to do to save that pastor and to save that ministry. I had never met him. And uh, so at the board meeting that day, it was the first time he was present, and he told everybody that I had saved his ministry. Now, first of all, I didn't think I had, because I never, I didn't go, I didn't do anything, but, but he knew that the man that I sent, and I guess the man that I sent didn't take the credit. He probably told him that my pastor told me what to do for you. And uh, he got up and told all those people that I saved his ministry. Now, I was embarrassed, not for me. I was embarrassed for him. But it also pointed something else out to me. The fact that he was telling them that that, that took place, that meant that he was a deeply spiritual man now. He was humble enough that he didn't care. He wanted to say thank you. He wanted to say thank you. But here's what I tell those guys now, though. I said, look, y'all know I done been all over this country saving y'all. When y'all hear something happen to me, y'all better get on a plane. <laughs> Amen. 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 God will judge the living and the dead. But the preacher, the pastor is called 
above all of everything else to preach the word. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Preach the word. Preaching God's word is primarily done from the pulpit. But it says, it says here, in season, out of season. However, preaching the word involves broader duties. Yeah. It would be so simple. That's all we had to do <laughs> was just get up on Sundays and preach. Once a week, that's what people believe. They believe a whole seven days passed. Pastor right. haven't done nothing. Six of them. And then just gets up and preach on Sunday morning. Sometimes you do so much that uh, I, I warn pastors about this too. You can get so caught up in doing other things that you're not really prepared to preach on Sunday morning. You know, and so no, no, no. I learned a long time ago to discipline myself. Amen. Amen. Especially people that come with problems and this emergency, and I got to help them right away. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I said, but I don't have time in my schedule with all the things I'm doing. I can see you uh, a month from now. A month from now. Man, me and my wife, we, we won't be able to make it. Our marriage, our home will be broken up by then. And then I asked them a simple question. How long have y'all had this problem? And they'll go, oh, well, uh, oh, you got to think about it. That means you had the problem a long time. And they'll say, yes. So if you had your problem that long, it'll wait till next month. <laughs> Preachers, pastors, and this is the part that's always been fascinating to me, got to be able to preach to save lost unbelievers. Now, that's been fascinating to me because it is clear to me in the scriptures, in the lives of other preachers that I know, that the pastor's role and the evangelist's role is not the same. And yet, within the duties and the preaching of the pastor, the pastor got to preach in a way that souls will be saved. Amen. And of course, of course, uh, uh, I, I, I have tried to do that. I uh, present Christ in such a way, and in every single message uh, 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 that I try to present it in a way that the unbeliever, if unbeliever is there, they'll learn and know enough about Christ to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. There must be a ministry developed to reach unbelievers. They got to be a ministry to reach them. They don't come to church. They don't come to church. And then, of course, there are some preachers, some pastors that preach so well that unbelievers come to church to hear them. But, of course, that used to happen a lot more in, uh, in history past that the speakers were so good that unbelievers came to hear them. So now, today, we got to figure some ways to go reach them. We have to go to them. One of the things that I found very helpful and have been successful over the years, and, and I don't do it very much now because I'm doing so many other things now, but I've trained other people to do it, and that is... Visit the husbands of the wives 
that are saved and trained the church and come to church, but their husbands are not saved. Husbands are home. And as a matter of fact, at a point, I used to uh, love doing it. I used to love doing it. I used to love going because these, these uh, unsaved husbands played games with me when I would come to their house. <laughs> they would figure ways not to see me when they were home. And uh, so I used to have to uh, play with them and trick them. And, uh, and one of the things I used to do was uh, ask to see them. Uh, and I would tell them I want to talk about things that got to do with being the head of the house, appealing to their pride. Then they would show up. Uh, and, I, and I would tell them, well, tell him if he's the head of the house, I want to meet with him. If not, I don't have to meet with him. And he would show up. And then, of course, I would, uh, I, Dana, he would be a nervous wreck. And I wouldn't talk about the Bible. I wouldn't talk about his unsaved condition. I wouldn't talk about anything but sports, whatever his interest was. That's what I talked about. And then I asked, I said, can I meet with you next week? Same time, same place, same station? <laughs> and he said, yes. And then next week, when he was nice and relaxed, then I would hit him with salvation. <laughs> and a lot of husbands came to Christ. They came to Christ. Uh, and one of the reasons why they would come to Christ, because their wives were living for the Lord. Their wives were living for the Lord. And one of my approaches for motivating them, I had to get them to admit that, how wonderful their wife was, how well their wives were treating them, and what a blessing their wives were to them. Preaching. Preaching must strengthen and grow church members. It must grow church members. I was talking to a pastor at lunch last week, and one of the things that I was sharing with him, and he has enough experience now that he knows that's true, I said, listen, don't get discouraged when you figure out and you understand that you're preaching every Sunday morning the word of God, but I want you to understand there's nobody sitting in the pew that's taking it as serious as you. Amen. You working on every point, every illustration, and you eating it all up. You yourself trying to live it all. There are some people that are sitting out there every week. They're saying amen, and they're praising as you're preaching, but they are applying it to other people around them. They're not applying it to themselves. They don't see that they need it. Now, here's the other thing that's really bad. Some of the people that's hearing the word every week, they're not applying it to themselves and one of the things they have in their mind, I will apply it later. They know they are living a sinful life. I'm talking about members that come to church every Sunday. They know. For instance, when they're home, they cuss their husband out or their wife out every week. It don't even bother their conscience. It don't even bother their conscience. In their mind, God's, when the time comes, they're going to ask God for forgiveness, and it's going to be all right, because God always forgives. 
Now, that's kind of stupid because what they're basically saying, they're going to trick God. They're going to outfox the Lord with how they have been living. No, no, no. Each individual person has to make up their own mind that they are hearing the word of God. And the other thing, too, the whole preacher's accountable. You want to make sure you're not listening to somebody preaching and they telling you what's in the Bible. They're not enabling you to see it for yourself, Amen. to see it in context. The, the thing that's a little difficult today, used to be a time you simply said, turn in your Bibles to such and such, and folk would turn in their Bibles. Now, I don't even much say it anymore, except because if I had to say it the way it needs to be said, I would have to say, uh, uh, get your phones out, get your iPads out, get a Bible out, get your sketch pads out. But we want to encourage you, this is the Word of God. Whatever you got, I don't even call out anymore. People got all kinds of things, you know. And, some, and as a matter of fact, there have been people in my service that have been Skyping the service while I'm preaching. And I don't know how to even do a thing like that. Amen. But I know it, it shook me up and scared me. I thought communists was coming over, taking over the church or something. Preaching must be preached to not only the unsaved, but those who are saved. Listen carefully. You're not going to grow. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about growing? When we talk about growing, we're talking about being like Jesus Christ. That's what God's goal is, that you will talk like, walk like, be like, have a heart like Jesus Christ. And, and of course, some of us are fortunate enough to know people in the congregation who are actually spiritual people. And listen to this. Those spiritual people act like Jesus Christ. And you can tell when you're in their presence, when you're around them, and especially in a crisis, if there's a crisis in their life, crisis in their family, somebody's at, the loved one is at death in a hospital, they act differently than carnal Christians. They, they always have hope. They always believe in other thing that's really, really amazing. Listen to this. There are times when God the Holy Spirit let them know the loved one that everybody's praying for and want to live, that God's going to take them home. So they're at peace with the loved one. And listen to this. And the loved one really only like talking to them on their sickbed. Because they understand. The person who is going to be with the Lord is looking forward to it. Amen. Amen. And uh, therefore, they only want to talk to the person and spend time with the person who really understands those things. But we are to be, be prepared in all season means we must carry out duties no matter what the conditions are. Oh, that's the tough part about pastoring. It doesn't make any difference about what you're going through personally or what you have on you personally. You still are called to minister to people no matter what the conditions are. 
We must carry out our duties whether we feel like it or not. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you use your imagination a little bit. Think about this. This is really uh, something I still have not gotten used to at all, where sometimes you can have a funeral on Friday evening and on Saturday morning you have the burial and at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon you got to marry somebody. Now at the funeral you are in sync with the family. They are bereaved. They need to be ministered to. You have to be a part of that. You feel that. But on the Saturday morning, you're feeling it. And then by 2 o'clock, there's a wedding where there's supposed to be celebration. There's joy. There's a reception. Everybody is happy. And you feel that too. Amen. Amen. As a matter of fact, there was a point in my ministry where I did not go to any receptions. Uh, I don't go to all receptions, not only because of what's on my schedule, even for that, for that same day, but, but uh, my assistant pastor at the time was Pastor Donald Canty, and one of the things he told me, he says, no, Pastor, you got to go to the reception. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to the reception, and the main ones I didn't go to, is the receptions that people had at their homes, that's the ones that they want to go to. And then some of them that were at small halls, too. And the main reason was, especially the ones at home, have you been the ones where people keep going down in the basement? <laughs> and there's always stand, somebody standing by the door. don't take me too much to figure out what's going on. And there's only men going down there. No women, just men going down there. And every time men came up, they were happier than the other time they went down. These are Christians. These are Christians. And so I stopped going. And he told me, no, you got to still love the sinners. You got to still love them and celebrate because it is an occasion to celebrate. You must preach the word. You must, pre you must preach sermons to the congregation and the congregation's needs. That's a real challenge. And there are different ways you do it, which I'm not giving a lesson on that today. But that's very important. You know, you, uh, people talk about it sometimes. They come to church week in and week out, and it never meets any of their needs. They hear it's the Bible but it's not meeting any of their needs. And so, therefore, it got to be messages that will meet the needs of the people. I am so conscious of this about my congregation, that in my congregation, listen to this, there are some very educated people, all right? And there are a, people that, are, that have not finished high school or all they have is high school. Listen to this now. There are children that are in the congregation in the morning. There are teenagers in the congregation. 
There are all the people in the congregation. There's a lot of different needs. And that calls for some really great praying. I'm so conscious of it that I pray, I pray, I pray. And as I go through the messages, I actually look out and think about how it will relate to the children. How will it relate to the very educated? For instance, even in your vocabulary, you have to have a vocabulary, listen, where you throw in some words that half the congregation don't know what it means. That blesses the educated people. So how do you balance that out? Is I shouldn't be telling, respect my members this, but it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to be a distraction because some of y'all might have noticed anyway. I actually repeat things. I repeat things and maybe say it in three different sentences and use three different words to say the same thing. And one of the reasons I'm able to do that, I love reading. So therefore, I'm always building my vocabulary and always learning new words, new words, new words. One of the things I almost just chuckled, I talk about I read a lot. I just finished reading a a 600-page book on uh, our president uh, that really deals with his, him personally and his life and so on and so forth. And uh, I wouldn't encourage you to uh, buy the book or read it <laughs> because you already know uh, uh, everything without buying the book. Amen. That's how, how he communicates. He communicates everything on his mind, whether it should be said or not. He says it. And so, therefore, you already know. So don't, don't even worry yourself about buying the book. And there, therefore, therefore uh, we, we, we want to encourage uh, Pastor Benson and the congregation that you have finished another year of accomplishing uh, things for the Lord. You, you haven't been standing still. And one of the things you can't allow to happen whether it's the pastor, the leaders, or congregation, certainly there's some things you wanted to accomplish and you did not. Don't focus on that alone, but focus on the fact of what God has done. I've learned that the vision that God gives you, you have no idea how long it's going to take until it happens. You think you know, and you should plan to know. But like, like us and the, the new building we've supposed to have been in 20 years ago, Amen. Amen. But one thing I made up my mind was ministry is not going to stop no matter what. We're going to still reach the unsaved. We're still going to grow the folk. And the building part is left in God's hand. He do what he wants to do. And so therefore, we go on anyhow. Now in verse uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, look at what it says. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Pastors must have an attitude of patience and teaching folk. We must correct error that members can live better lives. And that's not easy. 
For instance, every man here knows, in spite of, and, and I know it's, it's because of the fact that a husband and wife love one another, but every man knows here you cannot correct your wife and it's going to be pleasant. You, you can correct your friend. You can correct your buddy. You can correct your homie. You can't correct your wife. It took me years to learn that. Amen. Amen. And you know why, brothers? She loves you. And she wants you, listen carefully, she wants you to always think the best of her. What you going to correct her about, she knows or she agree with you when you bring to her attention, and she knows it's true. But that still don't mean she lack it. <laughs> Amen. Because she want to believe she's all that for you. Amen. But listen, brothers, God has called us to be men. Amen. And, they, and, they, 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 and they, the, the, before they were pastors, husbands were priests of the house. And husbands still had to read duty, listen carefully, to correct your wife. There's nobody else going to do it. Amen. 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 And i tell you something else that happened, brothers, if you don't. They will take your pants. In other words... There's no respect anymore, you know, and they, they did it. They're the one who challenged you, and you didn't, you didn't stand up to it. Amen. And then, of course, then, of course, uh, uh, one of the things that ladies do sometimes, uh, they will cut you off. Let me get a drink on that. Amen. Amen. Now that, that, then that'll see whether you're a man or not. Amen. Amen. No, there's not, we know it's all true. And whether they talk about it or not, they do that. And so you got to man up. Amen. You man up. You know, early in our marriage, things like that happen. You know, so, you know, so I manned up. So if it was, uh, eight days without, I made up my mind. I made up my mind. I'm going 16. Amen. 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 And brothers, I'll tell you something about ladies. Ladies can't handle that. Amen. Not so much the sex part, but the rejection. They turn it into the rejection. And so, therefore, you can end that in a hurry. Amen. Amen. Because they want you to love them and be close to them. But that's not biblically for women to do that. We warn about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that you're not supposed to use your body that way. The Bible tells us clearly that your body belongs to each other. It don't, you don't own your own body. Amen. So, correct, rebuke. Husbands have to rebuke. I mean, pastors have to rebuke. <laughs> rebuke. Now, rebuking is difficult. Now, let me, let me, it's not, this is not dictionary, but let, you, the way you understand it. 
Rebuke is straightening somebody out. Some people need to be straightened out. And the pastor has that role and that job. Amen. And pastors who don't rebuke, you have mess going on in your church all the time. You have it ongoing and this and that, and, and you have certain people always stirring stuff up. But when you rebuke people and deal with people, they're afraid to even try it. But you have to rebuke, rebuke, straighten folk out when they need it, and encourage. See, it's balance. Two negatives, one positive. Encourage people for living right. Encourage people. One of the things that I do, I try to encourage members from time to time, from the pulpit, but also individually. I would encourage them about their faithfulness. I would encourage them about their work and those kind of things. Amen. I normally don't encourage women. I don't, because uh, I also learned this from a book, too. I don't encourage women about their dress. You know, they might look nice and they might look good, but I don't do that. But for some reason, it can be taken the wrong way. Amen. Amen. Uh, you, you have a nice dress. Oh, really? No. It don't look good at all. You don't know how to act. <laughs> a pastor must accept that members will not always accept correction or rebuke. Some pastors lose heart and stop rebuking their members, whether it is in a sermon or one-on-one. You do not rebuke everyone the same way. Amen. Amen. That's what I've learned. There are people, listen carefully, that might need to be straightened out, and you can just talk to them mildly. I actually have three levels of rebuke. Amen. There are people, that's those gentle people. All they need is a, just a little reminder. And then there's the second level of rebuke. You have to be firm. They're not getting it mild. You got to be firm. Look, you need to change that. You need to change that. You, you, this is not right. You need to stop doing this or you need to start doing that. And then spiritual people again will submit. Submit. Then there are people that, yeah, no mild stuff, no firm stuff. You got to get it all up in their shirt. Amen. You know what's so amazing about that? There are different kinds of temperament. And those people are the tough people in the church. And they can, they can be godly people, too. They are. But they can't, they can't take anything mild. I mean, you got to get it all up in that collar. You can't do that anymore. Make sure it don't happen anymore. Amen. The first thing I do is get them to admit it. And normally they do admit it. Did you do such and such? Did you say such and such? Yes. Yeah, well, it's, you can't do that anymore. And you're the one who had to do it. Else things will continue to go wrong within the church. And so, therefore, there is a... Uh, a variety of people. And then, of course, pastors must control your mind. You must control your mind. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, look at it. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardness. 
what that means, pastors. And by the way, when I say pastor, that means the whole congregation, you should be praying this for your pastors. Keep your head in all situations and do a hardship. Listen, the pastor, the, the member can lose it, but the pastor can't. I remember early in the ministry, a woman came in my office, and she said she didn't like what I had said or done. Or I think it was a policy, church policy. She didn't like the church policy. She came in my office, and uh, I said, come on in. And I turned around and sat down in my chair. She never sat in the chair, her chair. She stood up and looked over me, and she was straightening me up. <laughs> and she immediately pushed my hood button. <laughs> and I jumped up. And I said, <laughs> And she said, you can't talk to me like that. I said, why? You the pastor. I said, you the sheep. That was the first and the last time she talked to me like that. Now, she, we had many encounters after that, because that was the type of personality she had, uh, trying to straighten everybody out or making sure everything was running right, and turned out to be a very good leader in the church. But she had to learn how to talk. Her husband just did like that when she talked to him. Uh, I ain't about doing that. No, the hood would not allow me. Amen. Yeah, you don't live in no hood and go like, no, no. <laughs> the Bible tells us when the pastor has done all of this great is his reward great is his reward God bless you